you're listening to Diverse City Podcast. Please stay tuned to hear a powerful word. For giving or more church information, check us out at diversecity.church. Or to text to give, text DIVERSE to 73256. Thank you for listening and enjoy the word. Hallelujah. Has, has the Lord been good to anybody and not failed you? Amen. I'm so glad to be here today. I got to be honest with you. I had to whoop somebody's butt this morning. One of my kids tried to get me out the spirit. I was all up in my flesh whooping him. Poor Anthony. I was up this morning at 6.30 a.m. Well, let me first say I was in Maryland yesterday doing a wedding at 4 o'clock. The wedding finished, and I jumped in my car and hurried to the airport and um, dropped my rental car off and got home at, well, got picked up by Pastor James at midnight last night. And uh, long story short, went to bed late, woke up early. And tried to just get some time in, and as I sat there and tried to read and think and just clear my head, and I like to come um, not frazzled. I I never like to step on the stage frazzled, but that didn't happen today. Um, This morning, what happened was I hear, Daddy! Daddy! Oh, Daddy! And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. It usually happens about four times a week, but... This one was a little bit worse. I really got in my flesh on this one. There was a whole bottle of blue gel all in the white carpet and a bottle of blue nail polish in the white carpet um, that I'm still going to have to deal with my son about some more in the spirit because I've only done the flesh so far. I messed up the first time. Second time is going to be in the spirit. And, and in the spirit, you still get whoopings. So, uh, no, I'm just messing. But um, hopefully I'll, I'm going to have to have round two and pray that something get off, gets all that stuff out. If you know me, I'm very OCD. And blue spots in the white carpet's not going too well. Matter of fact, I want to just say amen and close church right now and go home and start cleaning. <laughs> While I'm supposed to be thinking about my message, I'm thinking about spots on the white carpet at home. Uh, But anyway, all that to say, um, I'm glad to be here, and I really do believe that there's sometimes that you don't feel like being somewhere, and you don't feel like things are going well, and we have to tell ourselves it's not what it feels like. Has any of y'all had to ever do that? You just got to tell yourself it's not what it feels like. It's amazing that good things can be happening and in the midst of that, something terrible can happen and completely shake you and you can't even celebrate what's happening because you're so focused on how you feel. Well, that's kind of what I'd like to say has happened for me personally, coming home celebrating, excited, ready for church, and then just everything took a turn, and uh, you know, you plan to come uh, early and, and be in the right head place, headspace, and, and it all gets flipped around. Uh, but all that to say, we have to trust in all of those moments that were frazzled that God's still good. 
and we have to we have to really instruct and train ourselves and say self just take a breath and just say it's going to be all good and uh, I know it was on my face because I had a few people say hey pastor you okay I'm like yeah I'm cool but the fact that they asked me kind of led me to believe that maybe they didn't think I was so uh but we're going we're gonna to share today. I really feel like God wants me to talk to you and remind you and teach you. Uh, it's not quite as encouraging today. It's not discouraging. It's more teaching. And I want to talk to you simply about the Bible. And the reason I'm talking to you about the Bible today is because when I was at the airport in my travels in the last few days, I remember sitting in this restaurant getting ready to order some food, and this lady came and sat beside me, and she was a lady with a very diverse background. Her uh, dad was from China. Her mother was Filipino, uh, which is a mix, which I didn't know, of Chinese and Spanish. Um, she has lots of family over there. She's got family that are Buddhist. She's got family that are Catholics. She's also got family um, that are just brilliant scientific uh, minds, and, and they would claim to be atheists or agnostic or maybe even anti-theist. And she came and sat beside me, and we started having a conversation that uh, went for probably 45 minutes. And, and that really, that's what I want to talk to you today about, because what started out as us just talking about life, and um, really, she sat down at the bar, and I ordered ordered um, a, well, what I tried to order was lettuce wraps, um, shrimp wrapped in lettuce, trying to be healthy, and when you're trying to be healthy, you know what happens, right? They're out of it. So they were out of it, and I was like, fine, I don't want nothing. So I sat, at, I sat there and just watched the basketball game, and when I sat there at the bar, someone else came up to the bar, and they didn't order quite like I ordered. They ordered... Um, a mojito or something. Is that what you call it? Not a mosquito. It's kind of sounded like mosquito. Is it mojito? All right. Anyway, it had mint in it. And, and, they, and, uh, and she ordered this drink and she's sitting there drinking it. And, the, and I was mad because they didn't have my order. And, you know, I talked to everybody. So we just started talking. And, and after about 30 minutes of talking and 500 cuss words and two drinks later that she had drank, not cuss words from me, from her, and, um, and, and her just telling her life story and that she's in finance and her family's got all this money. And, and, and then with the, 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 the story of Cairo spiraled. She's like, oh, well, I've been talking for 30 minutes about myself, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and this is where it gets real <laughs> at this moment. Now, I can remember, she, she's, she's an Asian. She, she's very educated. She's, she comes from a wealthy family. She really struggles with truth and what truth is. She's been cussing like a sailor. She done threw back a couple of drinks. Her mouth smells like straight vodka. And she's sitting like, you know, not even beside me. And I mean, I mean she, she's feeling real hype. And, and, and then she says, what do you do for a living? And I say, well, um, uh, you know, and I try to, I'm like, uh, I'm in the ministry. Maybe that'll be good enough. No, it's not. What do you mean in the ministry? I'm a pastor. <laughs> Did you have to ask? And she's like, oh, you're a pastor. You know, I don't know any of those. And she's like, I'd like to ask you some questions. So then from there, we started talking, and really, the, the real thing that was the underlying message that, that, that controlled the rest of our conversation was truth, and what is truth? 
Is there a truth? Is there, is there a fundamental, uh, not able to argue about it? Is, is there a truth? Is, is there anything that we can call truth? And she said, honestly, I have a real problem with this because I've got family in China, family in the Philippines, and I've got family here in the States, and people in the States will say they're evangelical. My family in the Philippines will say they're Catholic, and then my family over in China will say they're Buddhist. She's like, really, I think that religion is tied to where you were raised. And she's like, well, I know there's Christians in China. She's like, but they're persecuted and they're underground. And, and that's not really the, 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 the um, religion of the, of the people, of the government. That's more of the underground persecuted religion. And she's like, so really, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of arrogant if I try to say this is right or this is the way or this is truth. She said, you know what, I really think that truth is subjective. And just to let us understand what that means, subjective truth means that truth to you is what you call truth to be, and truth to me is what I call truth to be. And I just posed a question, and I said, if truth is subjective, and what you say is true, and what they say is true, then really, at the end of the day, both of your truths will compromise, will, will not compromise, they will headbutt. Because when your truths say one thing and your truths say another thing, but your two truths conflict each other, this shows us that they can't be truth. Because we cannot say to you that everything you believe is true. Like I could say, you know what, the best color in the world is blue. And you say, the best color in the world is red. But there's no truth in either. Because that's just what you guys personally believe. But there's absolute truths that just are. And she's like, no, I I just don't believe that. I I don't believe there's absolute truths. I believe that everyone, whatever everyone does is right. That's what she said. Whatever everyone does. Like, like I'm not going to criticize you. You're not going to criticize me. We're just kind of going to do, we're going to live in harmony together. And, and I will just love and respect you. You'll love and respect me. Because who am I to criticize another person's truth? I said, okay. I said, so I have a question. Knowing that she um, was probably a supporter of um, just very liberal concepts and ways. I wanted to make sure that I spoke to her in such a way as I'm always trying to speak to people on their level. So if it's a conservative I'm speaking to, I'll speak to them in the conservative lingo. If it's someone who is very liberal, I'll speak to them in liberal lingo. And and I knew that she was liberal. So I began to talk to her and I said, well, you know, um, I'd like to just talk to you about identity and sex and gender. And she said, okay. And I said, so, you know, I, I know that there's some people who thinks that traditional marriage is right and then other people think that homosexual marriages are right she's like yeah yeah and I said and each is is really up to their own right discretion she says yeah I completely agree she's like I just think that that's how it should be and I said have you heard about this new movement that's happening and it's actually becoming quite an epidemic where they are now saying that pedophiles are born pedophiles and we should let them be pedophiles 
And, and she says, yeah, you know, unfortunately, I have heard of that. And, and anyone can Google it. There are doctors and psychiatrists and people who have never been caught in pedophilia. Uh, now, look, there's an issue here that we all have struggles. We all have issues, okay, period. It doesn't matter what your issues are, okay? But what I'm saying is there's a difference between us having issues and us welcoming and saying something's okay, Right? And I said, do you know that there are people who stand up on stages with thousands of people in the audience and they give scientific proof to why they are pedophiles and why we should allow them to keep being with little kids and even marry them? And she's like, I know. She's like, I think that's horrible. I said, oh, hold on, hold on. You just said you think that's horrible. I said, well, that's not right because you said truth is relative. You said truth is subjective. So now I'm going to call you a hypocrite because you're telling me that I can't have an absolute truth because then I am a bigot. But you're saying that they, for being pedophiles, are wrong. So can I tell you that you're a bigot? And she's like, you know what? I don't know what to say right now. And, she, and, 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 and I said, you know, here's the reality. The reality is that if we keep allowing ourselves to say that truth is what everyone wants to make it, then that means our truths are what we want our truths to be. And if that's our truth, then that means there is no truth. And if there is no truth, there can be no laws because laws are built on truth. And if you can't have truth, you can't have laws. And if you can't have laws, then we become lawless. Do you know the Bible says in the end that the world will be lawless? People will be full of lawlessness. See, really, this is where we are today in our culture is, is on, on, the, on the forefront or on the idea of, of us all just agreeing to disagree and we have no truth. It sounds good, but when you really start to dissect it and tear it apart, we need some underlying truths. Because this is where we find stability. This is where we create laws. This is how we live and don't have chaos. See, here we're very fortunate. Go overseas to places where there is indeed lawlessness. And you can have arms chopped off. You can be left for dead, your whole family killed, and you just continue to be free and on the run. Because the reality is, is we need to realize that an underlying truth, a, fun, a, a foundational truth, is actually a very healthy thing. Somebody say amen, just somebody, one person, that's all I need, thank you. I need us to understand that it is a lie from the enemy that there is no truth at all. See, because all of us will say, um, you know what, you know, it's okay you do this, it's okay you do that. You know, all of us kind of have some truth. But all of us have a line that we draw and we say, that's too far. Right? All of us have a line. That's too far. That, that is too far. I, I just want to believe that God said that's too far way before 2019. But we had been subjectively calling truth, truth, as we see fit. And now, in turn, we've got a country that is falling apart. It seems real good on the surface, but when you begin to look at our debt, 
when you begin to look at our crime statistics, when you begin to look at our heroin overdoses, when you begin to look at all of the families that are being raised by mothers and no dads are present, when you begin to look at how many African Americans, both male and female, are in the prison system, when you begin to look at the, the hatred and, and the divide among cultures and ethnicities, I want you to know that there's a serious problem. And, and part of it comes from us not standing up and saying there's an absolute truth. That's wrong, that's right, and we need to begin to change some things here. See, the reality, guys, guys, is, is we cannot allow the world to tell us that there is no real truth. It's not true. So I open up with all of that because the Bible is where we find it. You know, some people call the Bible the basic instruction before even leaving earth. How many of y'all heard that before? Basic instruction before leaving earth. And, and you know, that, that's a great concept and idea, but, but I also would like to add that the Bible is so much more than basic instructions before leaving earth. And I want to tell, show you what the Bible is, okay? So, so how many of y'all own a Bible? Raise your hand if you own a Bible, how many of y'all use that Bible? Okay, how many of y'all use your phones and not that Bible, right? Yeah, okay. Some of y'all don't use the Bible and you just lied and said you do. That's okay though, because I'm just glad you got one. I know it's got dust on it. You ain't moved in a while. How many of y'all have looked for your Bible and you couldn't find it for a long time? Nobody, just me. Okay. Um, but the Bible is so much more than basic instructions before leaving earth, okay? The Bible is what I want to call number one, first thing, all right, is the Bible is the word of God. The Bible is the word of God, okay? The Bible is the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, chapter 3, excuse me, verse 16, it says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. That's the new King James Version. In the NLT Version, it says all scripture is inspired by God. Another version says, all scripture is God-breathed. What this means is the Holy Spirit breathed and wrote the word of God. A lot of us think that the word of God is simply good men who got together and they came up with great ideas that are going to make people submissive to leaders and it's going to make a great country run wonderful. A lot of people think the Bible was made by white people or the Bible was made by rich people. People, and the Bible is just meant to keep us uh, in, inferior to those and in oppression. And, and I want you to know something, that that's not the Bible's purpose. The Bible was written by God through the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the literal word of God. If you hear people say the Bible contradicts itself, don't believe them. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. The problem is, is people don't study it enough to figure out the answers. There's no contradictions in the scriptures. There's no, there's no contradictions there. See, the Bible is the word of God. But before we talk about what the Bible is, let me first tell you what the Bible is not. The Bible is not a good self-help book written by somebody like Joel Osteen. Or T.D. Jakes. The Bible is so much more 
than some good self-help book to make you better. The Bible is so much more. The Bible is not a suggestion manual. The Bible is not a multiple choice book where you pick and choose what you like. The Bible's not the golden corral. You have a little bit of this, you take a little bit of that, but you don't go to the salad bar. No. The Bible is so much more than that. The first thing I want you to see about the Bible beyond it being the Word of God is the Bible is the same. Everybody say the same. This is important that you know. The Bible is the same, the same, the same, the same, the same. Isaiah 46 and 8, it says, all flesh is grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands for how long? Forever. The Bible stands forever. It's the same. It was the same yesterday. It's the same today, and God and his word will be the same forevermore. The Bible does not change, okay? It is just as relevant now as it was 2,000 years ago when the apostles were writing it, and it's just as relevant as it was 4,000 years ago when the prophets were writing it. The Bible does not need to be changed or altered because it's no longer relevant to our 21st century culture. Again, that's a lie. When you begin to read the Bible, you're like, wow, I can't believe that. You're like, man, they kind of sound like me. David, like me, he's a mess like me. You read stories in there and you begin to make so many connections because here's the reality to it. The Bible is the same. It's the same. The same things that, that were corrupting uh, the mankind, sin, evil, wickedness, the garbage of our flesh. The same issues in 2019 are the same thing since the beginning of time. The Bible's the same. It doesn't need to be changed. Now, granted, we can write it different so we can better understand it because we don't read Greek or we don't read Hebrew. We don't read Latin. Yes, we need to make it modern English because we don't understand these and thous. But outside of simply changing the language into something we can read, we do not need to change the content. If anyone tells you that the content is no longer applicable to your life because that book was written so long ago, don't believe it. Yes, the Bible started its original uh, writings back in the days of Moses, which was in what, 1400 B.C., Yes, the Bible stands back 3,500, 4,000 years, but please don't miss this. The Bible is just as practical to us today as it has been for centuries. It's the same. It doesn't need to change. It doesn't need to be altered. For some reason, Joseph Smith didn't realize that, so he made a new Bible. You got other people who made new Bibles like Charles Russell. These are the Mormons and the Jehovah Witness. You've got other people who came along and made new Bibles like the Quran. These are all new Bibles, guys. Don't, don't be deceived. The original Bible is the Bible. 
And then all the other ones created after that. They came after that. Y'all got me? After that. They were all after. They were all after. All of them were after. The Quran after. Mormons after. Jehovah Witness after. Anything that goes out of the 66 books of the Bible came after. Because that was the original text that God began to speak through. But people thought that it was no longer uh, uh, relevant to their culture. Therefore, they wanted to make changes to make it better fit them. I could give you an example. The Jehovah Witness, I think his name is um, Charles Russell, I think is his name. He's the founder. He didn't believe, he didn't like the concept of hell. And he couldn't explain the Trinity, the deity of Christ. And so what he did was he went in and said that an angel ministered to him and gave him a new word for the Bible. And he wrote the New World Translation. And what that does is it conflicts what the original one does. The original one says that Jesus was the Son of God, but his says that Jesus was the Archangel Michael. Or then you could go over to Joseph Smith, who was the founder of the Mormon religion, and he had a problem with understanding and wrapping his head around that there is one God. Therefore, since he couldn't explain it, he thought to himself, there must be many gods, and if I'm good enough, I can be a god myself. And in his religion, in his book, the Book of Mormon, they teach that anyone can be a god and that Jesus was a god, God the Father was a god, God the Holy Spirit was a god, and if you have a lot of wives and you do a lot of good stuff, you can be a god too. I could tell you about the Islamic faith. They too believe in the prophet Jesus. They all do. But the difference is, is they, had a, they, they were having a real hard time wrapping their head around that Jesus was the son of God, God, the word of God. And in the beginning, he was there. So they wanted to change it and shift it and kind of make it fit them better. They also were kind of having a problem because there were power-hungry white people who were using the word of God for their own personal favor. They didn't like that. So they decided, let's start raising up and creating our own word. I just want you to know something, that I'm very sorry for all of the manipulators and schemers and liars and those who pimp the pulpit for their own purpose. But don't you ever allow those schemers to take away from the word of God that was the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. To me, I just say, look, I'm going back to the oldest one. Right? They say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The thing I want you to see is not only is the Bible the Word of God, not a self-help book, but the Word of God, but the second thing is it's the same. It doesn't change. It doesn't need to change. If you get a book that is the Bible revised and it has changed, just run. The third thing that I want you to see is the Bible is the guide. The guide. I'd also like to say it's the GPS In Psalms 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If we are studying the Bible, if we are reading the word of God, it should give us direction. 
It should show us which way we're to go and how we're supposed to get there. When you properly read the word of God, you don't read it narratively like it's just a novel, but you read it instructively as if it's a GPS system, then something begins to happen internally in you because you start heading in a different direction. Can I tell you that too many people are reading the Bible like like a self-help book rather than God directing us as to which way we go. But when we read the Bible as our guide or our GPS system, what happens is it becomes a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths in those dark areas in our life, those things that we can't make sense of begin to be illuminated because of the light and life makes sense now. I asked her another question. I said, if there's a God, because she believed there was a God, so we were good. That was cool. She, she believed that there was a God, but she kind of believed that he either left and was no longer present in his creation, or she believed that there was so many truths and you do what you want. And I said to her, I just gave her a challenge. I said, here's my challenge to you. I said, it is completely okay that you love everybody. And I said, that's awesome. I celebrate that in you. I said, I'm so happy for you. And I said, Said, and I don't even want you to become a Christian. I said, all I want you to do today is to have childlike faith. Childlike faith means you want to be taught. Don't open up the Bible. Don't pray and already have the answers. I want you to just say to God, God, I want truth. I'm coming to you like a child and I don't know nothing. And I said, I bet that God's going to start talking to you. Just say, I just, I just want to know the truth. And I said, because here's the reality. You and I both agree that there's something. She's like, yeah, there's something. I said, so if there is something, do you think he created you and I for nothing? I mean, he had to do, I mean, if, if, if you agree that this wasn't by accident and, and there is a divine creator that is creating the creation, but now we're just living I said, there's got to be more to this. If you ever find yourself going through everyday life and you work and you pay bills and you work and you pay bills and you take care of your family, you raise your kids, you go out on dates every once in a while and then you work and you pay bills and then you work and you pay bills and you save money and you get this and you do this and you're just going through the routine, just the monotony of the routine and that's it. Can I tell you why there's the monotony there? Because God didn't create you for that. The creator created specifically with a reason. When you go to Home Depot or Lowe's and you buy some two-by-fours, you don't buy them and get them home and they say, hmm, what am I going to do with these? No, you went to the store specifically knowing what you needed before you started building. Right? I say that because this is what God did. God didn't accidentally allow the big bang to happen and then humans to come out of the dust of the ground and and suddenly they had life in them and he says, man, this was all an accident. Figure it out, guys. No. He's an intelligent designer that specifically created us with the intentions and purpose of serving him and doing something for his glory. And I say that because we need to begin to say, God, what's my purpose? And we discover purpose by the word of God. It's the lamp to my feet. 
It's the light to my path. Psalms 32 and 8, it says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule. Uh Uh-oh, some of y'all might be like a horse or mule. It says, don't be like the horse or mule. What do they do? Which have no understanding but must be controlled by the bite and brittle, the bit and brittle. And, and they will not come to you. So what it's saying is, don't be like a horse that only moves if it's being pulled by a chain. Don't, don't, don't be like an animal or a beast that is not able to hear the commands and then respond. It says, I'm, I'm trying to instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I'm trying to counsel you with my love, but now I'm just challenging you not to be a mule. I think if we're honest, some of us have been mules. But we need to figure out a way to say, Lord, your Bible is the word of God. It was the same yesterday and today and forevermore. It's relevant now as it's always been. Your word is truth, Lord. And, 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 and it's a guide, and I want it to guide me. I want, I want your word to guide me because it's true. I want you to facilitate my life. And, and then next, as I already said, his word is truth. Okay, so quickly, let me repeat these. The Bible is the word of God, not a self-help book. The Bible is the same. It's always been, it'll always be. The Bible is a guide. It guides us. It's our GPS system. It reveals his plan and purpose for our life. But next, the Bible is true. The Bible's true. The Bible is truth. Look what it says in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. What's your truth? Your word is truth. See, there's a difference between truth and preferences. Preferences change, but truth remains. And and we need to make sure that we're not being caught up on preferences, but we're being caught up on truth. Lots of churches have built doctrine and statements of faith around preferences. But he's not called us to build doctrines and, 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 and hold people to standards of preferences. He's called us to hold people to standards of truth. Truth is absolute. Truth doesn't change. Preferences do. Preferences will keep changing. They have to. If preferences don't change, you can't stay married because the spouse changes. And when they change, you have to change with them to better serve them. Preferences of cultures change. And if the church don't change, the church is going to die. The preferences of eating changes. Therefore, uh, restaurants have to change or else their restaurant's going to die. McDonald's knew it. They became a cafe, more so than a McDonald's. They're sneaking in stuff on the menu like apples and yogurt. Why? Because they know there's that healthy mom that's trying to put something better, and they prefer something different in their children. Therefore, when they saw the preference changing, they had to change. Preferences will always change from year to year, but the truth 
will never change. And this is where we have to know the word because if we don't know the word, sometimes we argue over preferences. Or we criticize and finger point because of our preferences. Or we waver on truth because we thought it was a preference. That's why we need to study and show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of God, because we need to know it ourselves so we know what we can bend on and what we do not bend on. Why y'all so quiet? I guess because I'm not excited preaching today. You're just listening, sucking it up. I'm just sucking it up. Lord, let them suck it all up. I think sometimes the Bible gets a bad rap. And um, it's funny because sometimes people say things like, well, I don't even know if the Bible's real. You know, I mean, I'm not even really sure. Can can we really believe it? Can can we trust it? And uh, they they won't allow it to be their GPS because they doubt its integrity. But then you got other people on this other side who don't allow it to be their GPS because they, uh, they doubt its relatability because of how old it is. And, you know, it's kind of funny because the reality is, is the book is very, very old, but it's still very, very relevant. And for me, the fact that this book is this old, to me, is encouraging. You know what was very encouraging? What was very encouraging to me was when they found those Dead Sea Scrolls. See, because those Dead Sea Scrolls, now this was not Christians, okay? Y'all got to get this out of your head. This wasn't a bunch of Christians who, who, who made some big plot to find some scrolls that they could prove the Bible to be right. These were people, man, does anybody know the year of the Dead Sea Scrolls being found? I want to say it was nine, nine, what is it? 4344? I'm not sure. 4344. There you go. Don't believe me. I didn't say it. Somebody else did. It may be wrong. Um, but, but I remember studying the Dead Sea Scrolls, and, and really what happened, just to explain that, is there was a bunch of uh, shepherds, and, and they were walking. They were taking care of their, of their flocks, and they got up on top of this mountain, on this mountainous region, and, and they were there, and, and there's like, it looked like this, this cave down there. And, and, and what happened was somebody like dropped a stone down there, and when they dropped a stone, they heard something break. And like, what in the world is that? And they're like, we need to get down there. And they climbed down inside the cave, come to find out there was all of these old papers that had been preserved in clay jars. We call them Dead Sea Scrolls. They weren't in the sea. They were near the Dead Sea. And they take all these scrolls and they give them to people who study um, like how, how old things are and you know, scientists and, and archaeologists. And, and they began to look at these scrolls and they unravel them. And they begin to try to figure out what they're saying, deciphering it. And, and do you know that every scroll that they found was actually text from the Bible that's, that went back thousands of years The entire book of Isaiah was found. The entire book of Isaiah. And it was thousands of years old. Thousands of years old. 
Okay, now here's the thing that I want everybody to get, okay, because there's so much skepticism about the Bible. You can ask anybody. You can ask a Mormon, a Jehovah Witness, a Muslim, a Christian, a Jew, a non-believer, atheist, anti-theist, any of them, any of them. And they will tell you that these are absolute factual pieces of, of, of evidence that was found in these caves that date back thousands of years old. Everyone will agree on that across the board. The whole book, one book was preserved in its entirety. Every other book was just little pieces. What book was preserved in its entirety? Isaiah. You know why that's so important? Do you know what book of the Bible has more prophecies about Jesus being the Son of God, God, the Word of God, and being born to the Virgin Mary than any other book? Isaiah. Isaiah. And, and I, just, I just ask a question. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you're telling me in the last hundred years they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Is that right? 1946? There you go. 1946. In the last hundred years, they found these scrolls that were preserved in clay jars. And non-religious scientists have, have, have done all of their magic on the paperwork and, and looking at, at the text and the way it's written and, and, and just doing tests and, and doing all of these various things. And everyone has agreed, non-religious that these texts go back thousands of years. Isaiah was prophesying around 750 BC, and they said that this text was somewhere around four, five, six, seven hundred BC. That's how far back it went. That means that this paper that they found was between two and three thousand years old. So what that tells me is it couldn't have been a bunch of powerful white people who decided they wanted to write a book 2,000 years ago to oppress black people in America. Because we found evidence that goes back 3,000 years. Now, don't get me wrong. There has been some nasty, mean, malicious, manipulative people. Husbands? I know husbands who use the Bible against their wives. Bible says, call me master. Bible says, submit to me, woman. Right? I know women who, or I know, I know, um, I, I know uh, uh, whites who, who, who have you, I don't know personally, but you know, you see KKK people talking about we, we are superior and, and, and you see, but, but here's the reality. Let, let, let's not get it twisted. Black people use it for them too. I'm tired of seeing black pastors pastor a bunch of poor people in North City while they go out and live in this big old mansion. Every people group have used the book to their advantage. Right? But it doesn't change that we have evidence. Everybody say evidence. It's evidence. You don't have to have faith that the book was written because Isaiah was preserved for 3,000 years. Hold up. So you're telling me the book that I'm reading, there's proof to it that it goes back almost 3,000 years? So now what it's saying is that this book is kind of old. 
And you know what? That's, that's, that's kind of crazy because the reality is, is this book outdates all these other religions that are coming on the scene telling me I'm supposed to do and be. And you know what the enemy does, don't you? He mimics. He mimics truth. Look, come on, guys. Let's be honest here. No one's going to say this is true, but it looks like a lie. If you want something to be or look true, but it is a lie, you have to make it look like the truth with a little lie. And that's what the enemy's doing. He's manipulating and scheming people because here's the thing we need to realize. The Bible's true. You can believe it. Okay, so, so it's the word of God. It was the same then. It's the same now. It's the guide. It is our guide. It's true. And the Bible is a teacher. The Bible is a teacher. 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness. The Bible is our teacher. It teaches us. Man, I just want to know more. I want to grow more. I want to be better. I want to do different. You can. How? Get in the Bible. Go to Bible studies. The greatest teacher. Why is it the enemy don't want you to go to Bible study? Because that's where you're going to grow. I mean, good Sundays is cool. But on Wednesday, when you can ask questions and dialogue and converse and, and, and get to the bottom of topics and ask for clarity, the enemy don't want you to do that. Because he knows that the word of God is your greatest teacher to direct your lives in places that you've never tapped into before. Let me tell you what else the Bible is. It's our sanctifier. It's a sanctifier. A sanctifier. This is an old school word. A sanctifier means to become holy or to become more and more like God. If, if we said to ourselves, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like the Lord. I just want to be a better person. How do I do it? Open up the book. The Bible says, sanctify them in your what? Truth. And what's truth? What's the truth? The, the word of God, right? So, so really we could say sanctify them in the word. You want to grow in sanctification, which means you want to grow and become more like Jesus? You want to be more like Jesus next week than you were last week? Yes, I do, pastor. How do I do it? Get in the Bible. I thought I needed to watch Dr. Phil. If I need to be better, I thought I need to buy a good book. I thought I need to get around good people. That stuff's good too, don't get me wrong. But the real sanctifier that's going to make you the most like Jesus is getting in the Word of God. That's where things really happen. Again, that's our GPS system. Ephesians 5 and 26, it says, He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. He might sanctify, let's talk about God, might sanctify her, talking about us, the church, by washing by the water of the word. We are cleansed, we are washed, we are made new by the word of God. And here's the last thing. Let me go back through these for those of you that maybe want to hear them again or you need to hear them a hundred times to get them inside of you. The Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. It's not a self-help book. The Bible is the same. It doesn't need to change. The Bible is the guide. It's our GPS system. The Bible is the truth. Everything should be measured around it. The Bible is a teacher. It's our teacher. This is how we grow and we change. This is how we're instructed. 
The Bible is a sanctifier. If someone criticizes you for something you've done, but they can't find it in the word of God, um, maybe say sorry, but beyond that, uh, I wouldn't say that it's of the Lord, because if it ain't in the word, I don't know if it's of the Lord. That's how you learn and you grow, through the teacher, the Bible. The Bible is the sanctifier. That's how we become more and more like him. And last but not least, here's the best one. The Bible keeps us from sin. The Bible keeps us from sin. The Bible keeps us from doing crazy, jacked up stuff. It it checks us and makes us know the things we ought to do and ought not to do. So look in Psalms chapter 119 and 11. It says, your word I have hidden in my heart. Your word, what? What what did he say he's hidden in his heart? Your word. Your word, your truth, your GPS, your teacher, your sanctifier, your word, I have hidden in my heart. Why did the psalmist say that he has hidden the word in his heart? That he might not sin against God. Can I tell you one of the greatest reasons that we sin against God is because we don't have the word in our heart. We got the word in our head. We got the word on paper. We've highlighted the word in the books. We put word on Facebook. We, 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 we copy or, 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 or and paste or, or we post or we share or maybe we'll even say something cute about the word. But just because we do all that stuff that looks like the word don't mean the word's in here. Because remember, y'all, some of y'all don't know this, a couple of weeks ago in our Bible study, we were talking about taking every word captive. It says taking things captive. And, and someone was asking me about thoughts that come in your head and, and what do we do? And we said, you know, the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God and that we are to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What that means is thoughts in our mind and what we do with the thought is very important. We are not a problem, and we did not sin because the thought entered. The sin is what we do after the thought's here. When lust comes here, when the thought of addiction comes here, when the thought of cussing somebody out comes here, when the thought of of, of punching somebody in the face comes here, when the thought of cheating on your taxes comes here, when the thought of cheating on your spouse comes here, when the thought of showing up late to work because no one will know it comes here, That's not the issue. The issue is what do you do after the thought comes here? Do you sit there and marinate on it? Do you say, boy, I went down aisle four and that girl was looking banging. I ain't going to do that. I'm going to go a different way. And you're walking a different way and you're trying to get that thought out of you. But the more you're just thinking about that thought, you're saying, I'm going back to aisle four. I don't even need no green beans, but I'm going back to aisle four anyway. So the problem is, is you let the thought stay there. You didn't take it. The Bible says take every thought what? captive. That means you lock it up. You incarcerate it. You put it in prison. That means when that thought enters you, you stop it right there. You say, no, I'm not going to sit here and keep lusting. I'm not going to sit here and come up with a plot on how I can get away with more on my taxes. Nope. I'm not going to sit here and entertain how I can show up to work late and no one will know about it. Nope. I'm not going to come up with a plan to cheat on my spouse and nobody gets away with it. As soon as the thought enters about cheating or lusting or manipulating, you need to bring it captive immediately. Because if you don't bring it captive immediately and you sit and you think about it, you digest it. You process it. You allow it to marinate. If you don't bring it captive, you know what the opposite of someone being incarcerated is? 
being free. And if you ain't bringing that thought captive, you're letting the thought run free. And what happens is you let lust start just sitting there. You start scheming. You start plotting. You start coming up with a plan. And it leaves your head and goes to your heart. And then what happens is you are now getting ready to bring forth sin because the thought is now entering your heart and from your heart it becomes an action because the Bible says that out of your heart you speak. Don't say you speak out of your mind, you speak out of your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible says that we will give account for every idle word that we speak. The Bible says that he is the discerner of our hearts. God wants to know what's on the inside of here. He's not worried about things that enter your mind and you bring captive and you dismiss and get rid of because we all deal with that. Look, you can dress it all up and act like you don't, but you do. I told my wife a while back, I said, babe, I was flattered by someone. And I sat there and actually was flattered by it. I don't know why. I think you're gorgeous. I love you. I don't know why I was flattered by it, but I was flattered by it. And it wasn't right. It was wrong. And I apologize. But here's the reality. Here is the reality. You can tell everybody you know you're sanctified filled with the Holy Ghost and don't struggle with lust but you're lying once in a while the enemy it doesn't need to be you it can be the enemy and I don't mean sexual lust it could be lust for money lust for stuff whatever here's what we need to know guys we are in this together all of us no temptation has seized you except what is common to man that means that every temptation that you have I have we all deal with the same stuff together the same stuff that enters your brain enters his brain oh hold on but you're white and he's black I don't care The enemy don't care what color you are. He's going to come in your brain the best he can. And you are not a bad person because it came in your brain. You're a bad person if you sit there and lust on it, let it be, let it roam, and let it go to here. Because then from here it becomes an action. But we don't want to talk about what's in here because we're too less of a person. Oh, if I tell them what I'm thinking in my head, they're not going to like me very much. They're going to think I'm not spiritual. No, I'm going to think you're not spiritual if you don't talk about it and you let it sit here and you keep roaming on it and sitting on it and then it comes here and then you act on it. Then I'm going to think something about you. But just the thought entering your mind, we got to bring it captive. And I give you all of that because the psalmist said here that we need to hide the word of God in our hearts. Having head knowledge of the word is not enough. Mm, mm, mm. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you can quote, family. Some of the most anointed preachers I know got the most jacked up hearts in town. God's not looking for you to be a great preacher and to be able to convince people Jesus is God or the Son of God. He's not looking for you to be able to quote 50 scriptures from the Old Testament, prove a point for the New Testament. You don't need to be able to be the best apologetics teacher in town. You don't need to argue your faith. You don't look. That's not what God's looking for. He wants to know, has the stuff that got in your head and you memorized got to your heart? Because if you're not hiding the word that you've learned here, down here, don't be confused when you keep falling out there. How in the world can we be successful out here 
when all we have is the Bible in here. If all you got is the Bible in your head, don't think that you can go out and be successful on the streets. You can't. We need to begin to say, Lord, I need you to do in me, as, as he was praying there, I need this word to be hidden in my heart because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Can I just say that I believe a lot of Christians have head knowledge of God, but they don't have heart knowledge of God. And, 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 if, and through this entire thing, if there's anything that I really want us to get, it's this right here. Is that God wants his word to be hidden in your heart. He wants to reveal to you your garbage, your junk, your mess, and help you to be better than you've ever been before. But there has to be, go beyond the head knowledge to the heart. See, because the Bible keeps us from sin, because the Bible is a sword. Can I have some soft music playing, please? If you could do that for me, Kevin, I'd appreciate it. The word is a sword. Thank you all for coming today. I'm so sorry. Our entire team is out. Uh, our worship team is all out. Our two drivers are the drummer and the bass. One of the women is the keyboard Player, we're going to have to figure something out next year. We ain't going to let this happen again. Um, but Angie, thank you so much. This is her first week, and she... I'm sorry, Angie. Her first official week, and she got thrown with the wolves. But she did a good job, didn't she? Yeah, so thank you so much. Um, you know, the word wants to reveal our sin but we have to pray that the word gets to our heart and the word is a sword and, and in Hebrews 4 and 12 this is my closing scripture for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is the discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, I don't know if you completely understand what this scripture is saying, but I just want to try to make it clear as I can. It says that the Bible is living and powerful. A few weeks ago, I taught about how the Word of God is Jesus, and Jesus is the Word of God. The reason the Bible is living is because the Bible is Jesus. Jesus is the Word, and when we read the Word, the Word is alive because Jesus is alive. The Word of God is living and powerful. Say amen. And it's so living and powerful that it wants to get you alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Think about this. It says that it can even pierce to the division of soul and spirit. And, 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 and it says can pierce and divide and cut in half the soul and spirit. And then there's the compound sentence that explains it. And it says, and the joints and marrow. 
And what most people believe that this means when he was writing this, the author, is that it's giving the analogy. There's a, there's a metaphor, there's a comparison that's happening here. And most people will say that when this was being written, that God was saying that the sword, the word of God, can divide your spirit and your soul that precisely, just like a butcher can divide the joints and marrow. Like us, we, you know, if we get a whole cow, some of y'all don't even want a whole cow, uh, you know, Rashida and a couple of y'all, but, but me, I, I'm, still, I'm still all in right now. But if you give me a whole cow, I ain't going to have to cut it up. But I like to eat ribeyes, but I can't get you a ribeye. Because the butcher knows how to cut a, around the joints and, and use this big, sharp, two-edged knife that's able to do whatever is necessary to properly dissect and take apart the entire animal. I want you to know that God is like a butcher. But rather than physically cutting you, he's trying to spiritually renew you. He's trying to get down to the very intents of your hearts, your thoughts, your psyche, that's your soul, your psyche, your mind, the way you reason, your pain, your, your dysfunction, what you've been through, why you view the way life the way you do, that's all connected to your soul. Your spirit is, is the thing that connects with God and God is saying, I'm such an intelligent being that I wrote the entire word of God that if you really get in it, it has the ability to divide your soul from your spirit, the intents of your hearts. See, a lot of us would say, you know what? I need God to do a makeover of my soul. I've been hurt. I've been abused. I've been neglected. I view things inaccurately. I've always got this, this negative perception. That's because your soul has been hurt. But in the word of God, we can seek out the sword that can bring that divide and teach us and show us and instruct us and make us new. Amen? Thank you guys so much. God, God bless you all. I pray that you'll go home and, and read the word and get the word to go from your head to your hearts. Yes, yes, yeah, I got you in just a moment. Thank you, all my reminders. Thank you so much. I was going to give you two reminders. Number one is in the back, we've got some literature on the Congo trip that we'll be taking. If anyone would like information on the trip to the Congo, it's on this side, um, then please go over there and you can get some information. We need your help. Whether you donate toys, clothes, hygiene products, um, maybe you have extra medical stuff. I mean, it can be Neosporin, Band-Aids, any of that. We need anything for our missions trip in September, and we would love for you to donate stuff to us, anything. Clothes, used clothes, new clothes, wash them before you bring them clothes, okay? Shoes. If you bring us toys, we would love them. Just make sure they work and you clean them first. Don't bring us stuff with baby puke and dirt and all nasty. Don't be ghetto. 
And you can donate it in the back. You can give money towards the trip, or you can go. You can join us on the trip. September, we will be leaving. It's going to be almost a two-week trip. We'll be serving widows and orphans in Africa, specifically in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And we would love for anyone to join us that would like to be there. So please go get more information in the back. Now, to satisfy all of you that have your communion and, and put it up in the air, thank you so much. We are going to do communion together right now. Kind of think it's fitting that we're doing it now as we were talking about the Bible and hiding the Bible in our hearts. And I think that's really what I'd like us to just focus on for a moment is Jesus having center stage in our hearts. On the night that he was betrayed and Later crucified, he took the bread and said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. And he told them, as often as you eat, he said, eat in remembrance of me. And tonight, today, excuse me, right now, we eat this in remembrance of Jesus. Jesus, we know about you in our heads, but we desire to carry you in our hearts. Some of us have grown up in the church. Others have gotten comfortable in church. Wherever we fit, Lord, we don't want to just go through the routines. We want you in our hearts. And we thank you for living your life with us in mind. And today we eat this in remembrance of you. And I just, I just pray that somehow through this symbolic eating and remembering of you that you're coming to live even deeper in us. Let's eat this together. Thank you, Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We thank you that though our sins was as scarlet, you made them white as snow. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough that where we should have died, you died in our place. And with that being said, we take up the cup and we acknowledge the life that you lived, the sacrifice that you made, and we drink this in remembrance of you. Let's drink this together. We honor you, Lord. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name. If there's anybody here that needs prayer, these altars are open. We'd love to pray for you. If anyone says, you know what, I I really don't know that I can say I have a relationship with Jesus. Welcome. Love to have you. We'd love to pray with you and lead you to that relationship with the Lord. Pray that each of you will have an incredible week. God bless you, and I look forward to seeing each of you, maybe some Wednesday and other Sunday. God bless you.